हरि कीर्तन की जाए गोली वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जाए बहुत प्रेम आनंदे गुड इवनिंग एवरीवन कैन यू हियर मी बैक देयर बेरली और ओके सो नाइस टू बी हियर टुनाइट थैंक यू ऑल फॉर कमिंग and uh, giving me the opportunity to feel you and your interest in um, spiritual life that's certainly good for me and um, so again i appreciate it i'm going to speak a little bit on the subject of kirtan that's of course what we just did a little bit it's uh kind of fun and deeply meaningful also at the same time and um in order to do that i want to sing a poem here from the shrimad bhagavad gita some of you may be familiar with bhagavad gita it's a song gita means song and um subjects like as abstract as the absolute maybe are better approached with song and poetry than other types of languages like math and science so the poem goes like this satatam kirtayantomam yatantascha judavata भगवदगीता and a, a very beautiful form of what might be called revelation as a western kind of context that might be off putting sometimes but um there is the eastern rev- revelation as well from the upanishads um and the gita is is uh, sometimes called gita upanishad so it's from the earliest uh of times uh in human society at which uh an answer came to the as i was speaking last night some of you were with me the existential crisis that human life uh, constitutes i want to say that human life constitutes an existential crisis because in human life as opposed to other forms of life the question why arises it's a big question it's not uh it's much bigger than the how question the how questions of life how to eat how to sleep how to protect oneself how to mate for example these are big questions in animal life we have these questions too but we have another question and that is why why am i why do i have to suffer why 
Does it seem that there's more to life than what meets the eye? I feel like I might be more hmm, than what uh, um, nature seems to dictate and, uh, and thereby limit me. I mean, to say that, for example, <clears throat> fish don't think about what it might be like to fly in the sky. And birds don't think about what it might be like to live at the bottom of the ocean. But we do. We think what it might be like to fly in the sky, and so we, we try to do that. We think what it might be like, like to swim at the bottom of the ocean. We try to do that. We try to do everything that every particular species of life does uh, individually. Birds fly, for example, and fish swim. We try to fly, we try to swim. Everything that any particular species has tried or tries or is very good at is their thing, so to speak. We try to do all those things in human time, in human society, in human consciousness. And the, the, the theory of the, the Upanishads in this regard is that the reason for that is that <clears throat> that what we are beyond our human dress is coming out in human life. We are something that could live in the sky that isn't, won't be withered by the wind, it won't be drowned by the water, it won't be extinguished by the fire. It's, uh, it's that perplexing thought that I am, and, and that's for sure, but what am I? Why am I, and what is it about me that makes me feel that there's more to life than what meets the eye? There's meaning, there's purpose, there's, I could be more. Hmm? Um, so it's a kind of a speaks about, you know, Spinoza said a long time ago that the Hindus were uh, speaking about evolution before Darwin was born. So a kind of evolution, anyway, is spoken about in these ancient uh, texts, old as they are, relevant as they are. Nonetheless, today they speak about what we are and about what we're not, which is what we might think we are. <laughs> it's said that, for example, when we're young, we think about how to change the world. And when we're old, we think about how the world has changed us. So the message of the Gita is how to stay young, so to speak, how to change the world in a sense, but in a very beautiful way, in a very, uh, in a very peaceful way, if you will. Um, what I mean to say by that is that in modern society, we, we try to change the world, we try to... Now they're trying to seed the clouds, for example, so that we'll have rain when it's not supposed to rain, and, um, you know, change the food and make it better, and change the nature of nature. This is, this is the human's trying to be God, so to speak, to change the nature of nature. So whether we try to rise above, if you will, the limitations of nature that they impose upon us, 
by a spiritual practice, for example, which is what the, these sacred texts call us to do, or whether we try to do it by exercise of our material prowess, our intellectual uh, ability through technology, for example, uh, and uh, to, to, to rise above nature. We're all trying to do this to one extent or another. Hmm? The question is who's successful in one sense of rising above nature? Is it the mystics or is it the techno, um, whatever, crafts? Hmm? Both, I guess, to some extent, um, but at least the way in which the mystics talk about rising above nature, it's very uh, charming, it's very um, appealing, it's very compelling, and it speaks about it in such a way as to not, not alter the nature of nature, but to work with nature, so to speak. Hmm? Um, so it's a kind of a, it's the kind of a, you know the, the 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 more that comes out of less, letting go of things rather than acquiring things. We will find out the more about ourselves, the more that we sense, for example, in human society that we are. It's the subjective experience of all of us, not only in this room but in all forms of human dress that we're more, there's something more to us, to be explored, to be examined, to be found out. Hmm? And that more is this, that we are consciousness, not matter. We don't entirely belong to nature. Hmm? The world is kind of a combination of nature and consciousness, but consciousness is what animates nature. Uh, when we invest consciousness in a material thing, it takes on an apparent life. The car takes on a meaning when the driver sits behind the wheel. So we're talking about the experiencer and that which is experienced consciousness and matter. And the consciousness is infinitely more in a sense. Because if matter mattered independently of consciousness, who would know? Who would care? So consciousness is the knower, the carer, the feeler, the experiencer. And we are of that nature. And it's constant. While material things are, as we know, coming and going here today and going tomorrow. This is old school thinking, of course. It's been around for a long time in different forms. Um, the idea that things are not the best things in life. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this uh, texts like the Gita they're kind of a form of revelation they're a kind of a, 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 of a response if you will, that's how I think of it to the human question like you've heard Om, so this, all these sacred texts of India they begin with Om Om is the primal sound what does, the heck does that mean, Om? Well, it's really a, it's an answer. It's a, it, it, in one sense, it means yes, yes. So if I say to you it means yes, then you have to think, well, what's the question? 
that's somewhere from, from, from out of nowhere or from everywhere, really, the answer yes is coming. Yes. So what's the question? So the question is, human life itself is the question. Why? Hmm? Or I feel like I could be more than what meets the eye. And the answer is yes. It's true. You are now coming out from the womb of material nature. The human life is like the birth of the self. Not that consciousness is not there in other forms of life. Obviously, life means consciousness. Hmm? Consciousness is the life. But when consciousness is in a suitable vehicle, like this beautiful human uh, vehicle, human dress, it starts to think about itself, hmm? to acknowledge itself, the sense that I am. It's like I said the other day. To be or not to be is not the question. I am is the fact. Hmm? I am. And we sense it in human life. We're a little bit more free, that means to say, in our human condition as a unit of consciousness than we are in less complex forms of life. And there's an evolution driven by consciousness that we pass through. Matters being driven, there's a force that drives it. It's us. And as our necessity to know ourself develops, increases, the nature gives us a suitable facility to do so. Human life is the facility, so to speak, by which we can, we begin to, to, to we have a necessity to know what we are. We know that we are, what we are. So there's a couple of ways of going out, I guess a few ways of trying to answer that question. Really briefly, in modern society, a lot of people have answered it as in such a way as to uh, kind of try to do away with the question. It's too difficult to think about. But we find that um, that makes other questions more difficult to answer. In other words, the how questions, how to eat, how to sleep, how to mate, how to defend. You'd think these things would be easy to figure out for us humans when cows and horses can figure it out. Dogs and cats have no problem. We have a big problem. How to sleep, how to stay awake. Equally on the shelf, you know. In the pharmacy, how to mate? Wow, that's like everywhere. <laughs> how do you do that? <laughs> Such a big question. But every other species of life, it's all answered. How to defend yourself? We're about ready to blow ourselves up half the time in the name of doing so, right? Or half of us, or, or whatever. <laughs> but uh, every form of life has some defense system that works to an extent, which is, of course, an important point. This whole show of our conventional sense of self, our egoic sense of self, our Portland identity, if you will, or wherever it may be, that is here today and has gone tomorrow as much as anything else that you can see. It's a composite of so many reactions, for so many actions performed. And, but there's, there's someone who can think about this and observe this and and uh, and rise above it all as well and that's that's us hmm? and when we attend to that question 
uh, that, that sense that we're more, or the why that we exist, what is the purpose, the higher meaning, uh, is there really something there, or is it, you know, just the Wizard of Oz? No, there, there's really somebody there. There really, there really is a meaning, and, you know, we're, we're, we're coming on to it, so to speak, in human life. And when we seek to answer it through listening to that ohm and the subsequent sounds that come from there, explained to us, perhaps, or translated for us, by someone who speaks our language, reason, hopefully, this should be the human language, reason, that's like the base <laughs> beginning of human life, to be reasonable, so we can understand that the sacred text, there are a lot of two-legged animals uh, in the world. <clears throat> I don't know where they are, tea parties or something, but um, <laughs> they're in all groups. <laughs> Really, but uh, both sides of the spectrum. But uh, <clears throat> if we answer the question, if we pursue the question, these these bigger quandaries, so to speak, that arise in human life, in conjunction with these sounds, it, by hearing them explained by someone who's rational, and what's rational? who speaks the language of reason. I'll give you a, a small example. Did you ever find yourself about to do something that your mind said, that seems good, and then you heard your intellect say, but it's not good for you, but you did it anyway. Anybody ever experienced like that? <laughs> <laughs> That's unreasonable. <laughs> you see? So, Yoga is about being reasonable. Hmm? Yoga is about controlling those types of uh, uh, animal, if you will, tendencies. That's why we have intellect. That's what's supposed to differentiate us. If we use the intellect just to be a bigger taker, hmm? a bigger indulger, a bigger exploiter of the uh, environment, then really what distinguishes us from the... Uh, less complex forms of life. We're a more complex beast and more dangerous. So intellect should be used to, should not make a wedding, if you will, should not uh, marry with the demands of the mind and the senses which are so oppressive. I mean, if you think about it, your one sense wants to take you in one direction, another sense another direction, you know, the, 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 the urge to eat because of hunger is there, and then after a while it says enough, but the tongue says more. So we're being pulled in two different directions. This is uh, um, disconcerting. There's no peace in that. Hmm? So sense is pulling us in different directions, and mind coming up with so many things. Hmm? how to combine those sense experiences in different ways to make more out of them. The mind is like a perennial carrot, if you will. It's just kind of keeps waving in front of us, in front of us as if to say, just a little more, just turn it, spin it this way or that way and you'll get a full meal. It's a continual perennial appetizer and no meal. Indigestion is the result. Mind is leading us to believe, just 
tweak the thing a little bit. Hmm? Add a little something more, subtract a little something here. Uh, combine it in this way. The whole affair is like chewing that which has already been chewed. Someone is buying a new house. And someone is selling the thing. <laughs> wants to get out of it. Get rid of it. So this is what we, we're just kind of picking up the leftovers of others and leaving our leftovers for someone else. And it's rather stale hmm? affair. You can only combine these things in so many ways. And, and what can we experience about form, the beauty of form with 2020 vision? I mean, it's so limited, right? What can we, what justice can we do to sound with these ears? Two little holes. To speech, to taste, to touch, with a tactile sense. Hmm? When these things are not the tasters, they are not the seers, the hearers. It's not because we have eyes that we can see. Hmm? These don't see, right? My glasses don't see. But now my eyes are seeing. But are my eyes seeing? They are just glasses as well. The eyes are limiting what I can see what I can hear. Who is the hearer? Who is the taster? Who is the experiencer? Hmm? That's us. That's consciousness. If that consciousness could come out from underneath the oppression of the eyes, the ears, the mind, the limitations that these impose upon us, what would be the experience of the nature of life? If I, if I have uh, red glasses, I'll see the world as red. If you have blue glasses, you see the color of the world as blue. You'll see it as green. If you have green glasses, you take off the glass, you see, oh, there's so many colors. Hmm? So yoga is about coming out from underneath the limited perception of what there is to be, hmm? what it means to be, and to experience, to taste, to feel, to know. It's not because we have a mind that we know. <laughs> the mind is getting in the way of knowing. Hmm? Intellect can help us to know to a point. If we can use our head to soften our heart, we can know something. Hmm? We can know that a lot of things don't even matter that we thought we had to know. We were burdened by the need to know, to explain, to understand, to capture it in the fist of our intellect and control it. It's out of control. Hmm? Let man not be so bad. <laughs> From our perspective, finite perspective, it's out of control. We have to come from to a different perspective from that of the infinite, then everything's fine. Hmm? So yoga is for coming out from the, underneath that. This is a huge idea. Hmm? And these sacred texts, they call us to do that. And they, they afford us a way of coming out from underneath that oppression, if you will, or limitations of the senses and the mind. This is an int intelligent thing to do. This is, again, a rational thing to do. This is yoga's what it means to be rational. Hmm? Not to do the things that might feel good but aren't good for me. And to, to take that idea that is universally accepted, that we shouldn't really, it's, it's not in our interest to do things that aren't in our interest, even materially speaking. I mean, that's just... Right, that makes sense. 
So we, we don't do that. We, 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 we act otherwise by the force of our identification with mind and senses and that, that Portland sense of I or California, I'm from California. Um, I call it a, you know, a, a, a conventional sense of I, the egoic sense of I, the small sense of, of what I am. So small an idea. In that world, I have likes, happies, sads, goods, bads, right? What's determining those things? Is it absolutely good? Is it absolutely bad? Is it absolutely hot, happy or sad or hot or cold? That perception, that determination is absolutely, <laughs> absolute in one sense, it's absolutely relative. Because you say it's hot and I say it's cold. <laughs> and why, why are you saying it's hot and why am I saying it's cold? Because I'm reading the world through my senses, filtering an in, input into the mind and making a determination. I like this, I don't like that. I live in this not so sovereign world of goods and bads and happies and sads and it's not even making me comfortable, but I think everybody else should be comfortable inside of it and agree with me and live in the small world of my mind. Yoga is about coming out from this small world of the mind. That's a challenge because what it tells us is that we're not big. We are allowed to think we're big or more important, in a sense, than we are in the little world of our mind. It's such a small place. Hmm? How much affection is there, even? If we really want to gauge how big it is. To really evaluate the size of, of the, the accommodating nature of a space, we have to consider not just its size, but the quality of the space. Right? Affection is what makes things big. Hmm? That is the biggest thing. If you can, you can live in the hollow of a tree if you're with someone you love. Right? The greatest kirtanir, we did kirtan, right? Who's, who's Abhuta, the, the uh, Sri Krishna Chaitanya, in whose lineage we come, the avatar of Krishna in the mood of his consort Radha, his other self, his better half. Um, he lived in a room in the seaside uh, village of Puri in India, about six by eight stone room with no windows, but he was so, his idea was so big. Hmm? Through this kirtan, he, 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 his sense of self was so big in, in a big way, I mean big by affection. Hmm? We see beauty and charm and we want to exploit it, but it is actually the deity. Hmm? Beauty, charm, affection. This is the most powerful force. You follow me? <laughs> Mind is not powerful. Intellect is not powerful by comparison. Physical senses are hardly... And physical ability is the least powerful thing. Affection, love, the heart, this is the powerful thing. It has the power to turn faults into ornaments. Mother named her blind son Lotuside. I mean, she was blind by affection. Lotus eyes means they're beautiful eyes. We don't think of a blind person who has beautiful eyes. We think, oh, it's too bad. They wear glasses. But she was blinded by affection. So, the idea. so affection has the capacity, love, to turn faults into ornaments. Hmm? 
powerful idea. Hmm? So these sounds from the Upanishads, they, oh, my guess, what does it mean? We need a, someone to help us translate that in a sense. And that person has to be a reasonable person. He has to speak the language of reason. And I've commented a little bit on what it means to be reasonable. He has to be a yogi. She has to be a yogini. Hmm? That kind of person. Hmm? That kind of person makes sense all the time. That kind of person looks at the world objectively with detachment. Therefore can see it for what it is. If we're too close to a thing, we can't make it out make out for what it is. Hmm? Right? So in science, for example, we like to step back and be objective in the lab, but what do you do at home? Yogi's not like that. Hmm? A sadhu. That means yoga. Yoga means for for being being the more that you are, hmm? and that is that more is big by way of affection, kindness, generosity, compassion. It's it 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 transcends the even the, the need for morality because what's the need for morality? If, how can I steal from you if I don't see a difference between you and me? Religion is only as valuable, Bhagavad says, Shrama A B Kevalam, as it promotes this idea, the heart of it, so we can leave morality behind. Hmm? That doesn't mean to be immoral, but to transcend its its, its the, the restrictions that are imposed upon us by moral codes, which are good, yama niyama, you have to have an ethical outlook to life, but hmm. those things try to help us from drifting towards animality, that if we've risen above our humanity even, and entered into the reality of our spirituality, then what is the need for such? So in Vedanta, in the Gita, these are the morals. Whatever is favorable for your spiritual practice, that you accept. Whatever is not favorable, that you reject. It's simple. These texts are, the, the, oh, this is calling us to be a lover. What does it mean? I said, someone with some, a reasonable person who speaks uh, the language of, uh, of reason, hmm? who, but who also has, speaks the language of love, can explain that to us. That means what? That means by spiritual practice we have experience of these things. This is kind of like a, a science, if you will. Here's the experiment. Sit down, do kirtan. Hmm? This verse speaks about it. How to do it. Where to do it. Where not to do it. Hmm? I'll get to that. Hmm? Do kirtan. The result is, it's also spoken of in this verse, what happens to you, in a big way it is explained, what kind of affectionate entity you become. What kind of universal uh, love as a result of that? To what extent the self expands rather than contracts? The kirtan is about a, a giving, a giving of oneself. A fellow asked me the day, Swami, what should I give? I, you know, you talk about giving sometimes, all the time. What, what, what should I give? We all have some talents. What can I give to, you know, to do my part, to be, make the world better, and so forth? 
I told him, you have to give yourself. Hmm? The things that are your talents, that's your bank account of karma only. <laughs> you should give that up. How's that? Hmm? Giving things are only as good as those things are extended senses of our own self. We're giving up our self. Hmm? Our sense of self that's formed by our attachments, by our mys. It's mine. And that's me. It can be it can be good, it can be a good conventional you, or it can be a bad conventional you, you know. You could be the Marlboro man. Hmm? Right? You smoke Marlboros and you die of cancer. You ride on that horse, it's an old commercial, but uh, you know, the advertising industry knows that people are what their desires are. So there's a car for you, there's a cigarette for you, there's a dress for you. That's kind of, you know, the cigarettes and that, they're not the best senses of self. But then there's the good self, too. The PC person who rode his bike here. <laughs> That's good, but, <laughs> but it's, also, it's also something smaller than what you are. How much affection can you, can you give in that egoic sense? It's a good idea. It should be done. We should live in the world in the least taking kind of way, no doubt. But to really stop taking, you have to die to the taking tendency altogether. And this body is, is, is imposing necessities upon us that aren't inherently ours as a unit of consciousness. So we're driven to meet them by our identification with it. And so we're inhibited thereby from actually giving, being a giver to the full sense. So give up that. Give up yourself. You have to put yourself on the altar. Hmm? Die to live. Hegel said it. What he meant. I'm explaining. <laughs> Hope he likes it. Die to live. <laughs> it's poetic, but it's a hard pill to swallow, too. A student of mine asked me, what should we pray for? I said, pray that you will, that all the, th the things that you, that you want, you won't want them. She came back the next day and said, that sounded good at first, but that was a pretty tough prayer. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I gave her another way of thinking about it, and that was this. Pray that Krishna will come into your life. Hmm? Pray that the whole, this is the idea here, the whole will come into the life of the part. That's big. Hmm? If you could bring the whole, the center, hmm? if you will. You're, if you can imagine yourself as a spark of consciousness, and then there's the fire. So bring the whole fire into the life of the spark. It's kind of hard to figure out mathematically, but it's possible. The idea is, how can a finite, how can a finite know the infinite? Right? It's mathematically kind of impossible. How can the finite know means to control the, the infinite? But the spiritual answer to the question is, which is where, you know, Math and science are all transcended. Not that they're bad things, but there's more to life than, than those um, how ideas. Spiritual answer is this. Oh yes, the finite can know the infinite if the infinite, out of its infinite capacity, chooses to make itself known. Hmm? There's nothing impossible. Impossible is not a word in the language of the infinite. Hmm? So we should expect uh, miracles, yes, to die 
to your taking tendency, that's a tall order. Hmm? But if if the if the if the if the if the, if the center, the, the 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 comprehensive universal giver can come into your life in a meaningful way, then you almost be embarrassed by your pettiness hmm? and your good fortune. And they easily let those things go. Hmm? This is the idea. Bhakti is, a, is what I mean to say, it's a very positive path because in Gyan, you know Gyan? Gyan means knowledge, the path of knowledge. Sounds good and there's a lot of truth to that. But in the path of knowledge, in the classical uh, Indian, Eastern schools, Buddhism is the same idea. We progress spiritually by bairagya, by detachment, by letting go. Hmm? In bhakti, we grow spiritually by adding on, which is what we do anyway, right? We do it <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a lesser way. We're constantly acquiring, and by acquiring, we're going, going down into negative numbers. We're acquiring debt. You understand? When we gather things, we take from the environment, we owe. So, off to work we go. Hmm? That's the problem. So we're kind of like in negative numbers. So if we let go of this taking, then we come to zero. But that's a full zero compared to negative numbers. But then Bhakti speaks about positive numbers. That's a whole different thing. <laughs> it's very complex, Bhakti, philosophically speaking, but very easy to do. So. You have to read the, you don't have to think it all out. If you can just attach yourself to somebody who's very good in bhakti, then they can, it's contagious. So positive numbers and the idea here in kirtan, it's a call and a response. So it's like that. Why am I? I feel I could be more. Oh, yes. So the whole thing starts with the kirtan as the idea. Human being means the question. And revelation, the answer. Oh, yes. Yes, you're more. You are. And here's how, then, so many statements, how you can become the more, how you can, not become the more, how you can realize the more that you are. Hmm? And be that. Hmm? And ultimately, that is a unit of affectionate, loving um, capacity. Krishna, who's speaking here, he says, He says, Ah, just in the previous verse, he said, There are people, he said. They are Mahatmas. Mahatma? Maha Atma. You know what the word Atma means, right? I mean, just put it in English, it's something like soul. Consciousness, the unit of consciousness, that which we are. Atma. Hmm? Maha Atma. Maha means great. So there are great souls. Sadhus. Hmm? Those, they're kind of affectionate. They're kind of like tough love people. You know, they, they, they love you, but they, they tell you, you've got to let that go. You've got to change. Hmm? They, they, they grab and say, you have to change. That's they're a little bit aggressive. My guru once said, I came to your country as an aggressor. I said, thank you for that. I <laughs> appreciate that. <laughs> he meant it in the way that I responded to it. Krishna, the name Krishna, Krishna. There was, this, there was a nice story. There were two policemen in India. 
And uh, one of them said to the other, you know, it's really a problem that our, our God, Krishna, is a thief. You know the story of Krishna, Krishna's divine play, and he's stealing butter and milk and quite a mischievous um, character. Hmm? So he said, this is a real problem. I mean, you know, we've got to teach the people don't steal and our God's a thief. Hmm? <laughs> this is, you know, only, only this only happens in India, these kind of conversations. And so uh, the other guy said, no, that's the good thing, actually, that Krishna is a thief. Hmm? That sound, Krishna, Krishna, it's, uh, it goes anywhere like a thief. It knows no locked doors. Hmm? When you do kirtan, that name goes anywhere, right? Wherever it wants to go. Hmm? That kirtan means it, 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 it comes in the heart of that devotee and it rises. It has it. It has it, 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 it. What it does is it, these two syllables, Krishna, there's so much nectar in these, this sound. Hmm? It's like, um, it's like, um, like, uh, sugar cane. It's sweet. Hmm? You know what jaundice is, like hepatitis? If you have jaundice, sweet things taste bitter. But the cure for jaundice in India is to eat sugar cane. So it tastes bitter because you have jaundice. But if you, as you get cured, the sweetness that was always there in the cane comes out. So this sound, Krishna, of all these sounds in the sacred text, there's some emphasis on this. These Upanishads are like jewels that have an effulgence. And the effulgence is shining on these two syllables, Krishna. It's like if you could press one place in the brain and your whole body would become paralyzed. This one sound can change everything. Two syllables, Krishna. Sri Rupa Goswami, a great saint, he said, if, uh, what can I do? These two syllables have, uh, are dancing in the courtyard of my heart. And as a result, my senses have become like inert. I cannot function in relation to the call of sense objects. All my attention is going there. Hmm? Oh, he said, help. How I can take advantage of this. I have only one tongue and two ears. Hmm? I pray I could have millions of tongues and millions of ears to try to do justice to the to this sound, in the sound is a form. The form has qualities, all the, all the, the full face of qualities. Like here, we don't have the full, like, like honesty is a good quality. Right? Even thieves will want to divide the loot honestly. Hmm? Honesty is a good quality. Everybody accepts it. Hmm? But that's just one quality. I'll give you an example. We're all thieves here. We're all taking. Nothing belongs to us. We all make claims on things. So what do we know about honesty? Honesty will come when we come out from underneath our present conditioning hmm? and know our full self. Hmm? So the Godhead has full truth, sat, full chit, full knowing, full ananda, beauty, charm. Krishna is like you know, there are different manifestations of divinity. Buddha's the wisdom, right? He says, desire and suffer. That's what he says. Trishna, he says, thirst, wanting. This is the cause of suffering. The more you want it, the worse it is. Even if you get it, because you can't keep it. 
So how bad is it then? You really want it and you can't keep it. And you had it. It's gone. Hmm? So that's wise. Hmm? And that's... Krishna says that in the Gita too. That Dukalayam Ashashvatam, he says. Here's the world in, a, in, a, in, a, in two words. Dukalayam. It's full of misery. And, and then Arjuna says, but I, I like it. He says, well... <laughs> Ashashvatam, he says. You can't keep it. Oh, it's pretty bad then. <laughs> I really like it, but I can't keep it. Hmm? (laughs) So, Krishna. Krishna represents like the heart of the Absolute. You know, we like in Kirtan, Krishna is saying here, Satatam Kirtayam Tomam. He's saying, do Kirtan of me. Satatam means always, and there's a lot of implications, I'll try to explain it. But satatam kirtayantam mam. Mam means me. He says, do kirtan of me. Kirtan comes from the word Sanskrit root kriti. It means fame. So it's about like giving fame to others, if you will, or acknowledging others, hmm? by which, in a beautiful way, we'll become acknowledged as well. If something is really worthy of glorification, then you glorify it. You become glorious rather than trying to be the object, the glorious object. And there are certainly, at least for me, more glorious things than me. I'm sure of that. The part is beautiful. What must the whole be like? He says, Satatam Kirtayantuman. Nobody says this. Nobody. About Kirtan, nobody says. Shiva doesn't say, always do Kirtan of me. Shiva's not a bad guy either. But... Durga doesn't say that. Ganesh doesn't say that. Patanjali doesn't say, do kirtan in Yoga Sutram. Ishwar Pranidhan, he says, yes. He doesn't say, do kirtan. Here, Krishna is speaking about Mahatmas, he says. Those people who have big souls, sadhus. He has his own idea of what a Mahatma is. He says, daivim prakritimashrit. They move in the world under a different energy. It means this. They don't move under the force of karma. Karma is a movement out of obligation. Because we have taken, now we owe. And like I said, off to work we go. We have to. We have taken, and now the environment is taking back. And we, there we are. We're in, we're in the midst of this web of deception. Leela is another thing. In Gyanmarg, in Gyan Yoga, they say, well, if you're happy, why move? If you're full, why move? Movement must be a symptom of being feeling incomplete. So shanti, shanti, shanti. Be peaceful, sit, no desire. But Krishna is dancing. <laughs> so how do we put that together? Krishna is, is, the idea is, well, Krishna is Brahman, the absolute, which is everywhere, but moving. How can something that's everywhere move? Some things are possible that, are, that we don't think are possible. That is Leela. Hmm? Krishna's a thief, it's true, but if you steal from yourself, then it's just play. Right? Hmm? He's moving. Brahman is moving. In bhakti, in lila, 
out of fullness. Sometimes you're so full, you have to move in celebration. I'm full. Hari. That kind of movement. Not out of... Not out of a uh, out of the necessity of fullness, not out of a necessity of emptiness. Hmm? So you sometimes heard the narratives of the Leela of Krishna with the cows and milkmaidens and all these things. This is a very special idea, hmm? Hmm? and we study it very carefully. We see it's a way of talking about the heart of the absolute, as if it was a lover, hmm? romantic. Hmm? In other words, if if enlightened life was dynamic, like love, you know, you cannot rest in this world until you find your love. And then when you find them, you really got to move then. Hmm? But that's a different kind of movement, right? <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it, it's like union and separation. It's, uh, she loves me, she loves me not, but you can't get off. So this is what bhakti is about, it's having this kind of union with the Absolute. Krishna represents that heart of the Absolute. And affection, Buddha is the wisdom, but in love there's also wisdom, right? And more. Hmm? There's love in Buddha also. Buddha says, as much as there's love in saying, hey, don't take, don't be a taker. If you stop taking, that's at least the beginning of loving, right? Because love is about giving. Hmm? But Krishna, all these different manifestations of that, Krishna represents the heart. So therefore, it's Krishna who's approached by Kirtan, because what is Kirtan, as I said? It's, it's a glorification, it's, it's song, it's something we do when we're not thinking. In the shower we sing, you, don't, you, know, you just do it when you don't think, right? You sing, hmm? it's kind of a way of expressing something that thought can't do justice to, something like that. Hmm? It's a heart function. Even, I mean, in an ordinary material sense, we go in the direction of song from our heart and it gives us relief from thinking. Hmm? Sometimes. It has a, some capacity to take us, it feels like somewhere beyond the limits of reason. It's not unreasonable, but is there anything that transcends reason? We hope so. It's good to be reasonable. And as I said, speak the language of reason, but only as much as we can do so to soften our heart that we can speak the language of love. We should use our head to soften our heart. Hmm? So Krishna says there are these people, these Mahatmas, they do this kirtan, they go everywhere, that's what they do. And they, they are not the those who are mature in this. They're not moving under the force of karma. This kirtan has the power to, to, to cut off at the past the reactions that we are due from our past. Very powerful. You have a stock of karmic reactions waiting to bear fruit. The environment waiting to get its satisfaction from our taking. We're rising above our creditors, if you will, by going to Krishna, is the idea. So he can say, hey, they're mine now. Do you owe me anything? Yes, yes. Nature, like all the gods, personified the sun, Surya Namaskar gives us health, and this one, that. Um, this is the idea in Hinduism, of course. All the aspects of nature are personified as gods and goddesses so that we learn to respect all these aspects of nature and, and so forth, all of which are the whole show, of which is a dependent show, if you will. 
hmm? on the, the whole of consciousness that makes it move and gives it meaning, of which we're the part, and so forth. Hmm? So, so by coming under the shelter of Krishna, these saintly persons, they cut off the, the karmic implications, repercussions. They're moving in a free way. They're moving under the influence of love. He says, these people, he says, how to identify them? This is what Krishna is saying. He says, they're always doing kirtan about me. That's what he says. These Mahatmas, they, 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 they move freely, and here's how to identify them. They always do kirtan about me. Hmm? This kirtan is a limb of bhakti. It's not a limb of yoga. It's not a limb of jnana or any other spiritual idea. It's so nice, though, the yogis attach themselves to it also. Jnanis also do it. They do Shiva Kirtan, and Durga Kirtan, and this Kirtan and that Kirtan. Not, you know, it's not a bad thing. But hmm? we don't find anywhere in Yoga Sutra that says do Kirtan. It's not inherently, for example, as they say, a limb of Ashtanga Yoga. Yam Niyama doesn't come to Kirtan, but Kirtan is Samadhi in a big way. Hmm? And easy, too. He speaks about that here in this verse. What is the samadhi of kirtanam? How much the mind become, become arrested by the power of this sound Krishna. As that saint said, he's dancing, the name is dancing in my heart, and I, I, all my senses have become inert. They're not able to function in relation to things anymore. What's become of me? Mad. I need more tongues, more ears. This is how we get students, out of madness. This is a fact. Out of great necessity, we need an audience, students. <laughs> we, have, we need help. Hmm? This idea, to take advantage of this thing. And then, in the context of that, it overflows. And to Kirtan, Krishna, Krishna, this sound, the policeman said, well, it's a problem. The other guy said, no, it's not a problem. This sound, Krishna, and the name and the name, non-different. The name in sound is very, inside the name is a form. What kind of form? Hmm? We think of form as kind of a limitation, but no, not like that. Hmm? The form of ecstasy. Ecstasy personified. Joy personified. Love personified. Hmm? This name goes anywhere means independent. Bhakti is independent. It means this, that in order to do jnana, you have to do nishkam karma. In other words, in order to sit effectively hmm, and experience ingress of real wisdom, the heart has to be somewhat pure. Otherwise, you can't sit long enough because you've got to get up and do something. Pure means You've got desire. Impure means you've got desire. That's what I mean by it. Hmm? You've got garbage in there. Things you think are more important than yourself. Hmm? And so you're distracted from contemplating yourself and all that that is, all that you be. You know, that nice Buddhist lady wrote a book, Don't Just Do Something, Sit There. It's hmm? a good one. <laughs> so, but, but we can't just sit there. We've got things to do. We think we do. Hmm? They're more important. So there's a, there's a system in the sacred text. Okay, 
then do it like this. Do the things like this. It's called Nishkam Karma Yoga. You do the Karma Yoga. We try to develop the, the results, the fruit that you get from your work, for example. You take enough just to maintain your existence, and you, and you maintain your existence just enough to do your spiritual practice. And the excess you, 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 you give for, for these kind of things. You put on a gathering like this. You, you print a book like Bhagavad Gita. That's your fun, something like that. So then, then the heart becomes cleansed, and you can sit. So the point is this. There's some prerequisite for really sitting. Hmm? You can't just do samadhi, right? First you have to do all the other steps. <laughs> you know, through it. But bhakti, she just goes wherever she wants. Hmm? Krishnanam is a form of bhakti. Goes everywhere. So the policeman said, this is a good thing. Because a thief does not care for locked doors and high walls, and that's exactly what we've erected around our heart. High walls and locked doors, and we're not letting just anybody in. Hmm? We think the little world of our desires is, is really important and to be protected, and and uh, we're, we're, we feel we may be threatened by non-existence. We are. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, but uh, let him in. Even if you don't let him in. In Kirtan, he goes anyway. Hmm? This is a friendly kind of yoga. Really user-friendly. We're talking about human beings participating in this, right? But even non-humans can participate in it. It's a fact. Kirtan even goes, and there are examples in the, in the sacred text, of animals hearing the name and awakening. They're special in their evolution. Sometimes you know, people are pretty close and then they go backwards for, for, for a couple of reasons. And those are the kind of animals that hang out at ashrams all the time. <laughs> <laughs> really cool. We got a few. We we think they're better than us. They're you know they're one step ahead of us. So we take, take good care of them. Hmm? So the name goes anywhere. It's very generous. Two sides. Bhakti very generous. Doesn't seek any qualification. Goes anywhere. Hmm? Another side goes very high. Hmm? It means it's, it's a bhakti is a, is is a is an act. A, a culture, if you will, that is transformative and changes us hmm, for the better and lets ourselves out, so to speak, from you know the oppression of the mind and the senses. And at the same time, it extends into the into liberated life. That is what we call lila. Hmm? It continues. You enter the drama of the heart of Brahman. Hmm? That's a very complex theological idea, but it's very um, uh, very attractive. Krishna's attractive. The pictures of Krishna are attractive. Hmm? It's a way, and all the things about the picture, you know, he has a certain color. Sham. Sham. In, in the aesthetics, this is the, this color is the, every, every color has a, every emotion has a color. You know, we have that in a sense too. They're hot colors, cold colors, right? Hmm? So in Indian aesthetics, then the, the, the romantic colors, sham. So they've colored God, Sham. Hmm? This is the kind of the most intense form of love, romantic love. The idea is we should love God that intensely hmm? that even if 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 anything gets in your way, any impediment is put before you, hmm? you you turn it into turn it into something favorable. Just like if two young people fall in love, and you go, this isn't going to work. She's not going to work for you. He's not going to work. 
that is only going to fuel right their affection that's the worst thing you can do they're really going so that with that kind of intensity this is what what kirtan speaks about it has that capacity to bring us in touch to bring us to bring the whole into our lives that's why krishna as brahman as krishna the param brahma appears like medium size small you think well what's this it's like the sky is blue he's got cows you know what's this all about it's something like this if we were to meet the infinite we would say oh my god <laughs> whoa <laughs> right and we would be kind of pushed back like oh <laughs> but if we want to get close is that possible is that possible the krishna avatar is saying yes it's possible there's possible the ability of having intimacy with the absolute and in order to do that the infinite has to take a finite like appearance hmm? the closer we get to the infinite by affection then it comes to meet us on our terms so to speak so the leela looks like a finite thing but it's really a dynamic union between an extremely self-sacrificing self who's entered into the whole fire of bhakti hmm? completely been transformed and cooked and offerable hmm? meeting with the absolute like like almost with the intensity of of of, of the romance hmm? and it, it, and you can see this is something like if you invite that into your life then the letting go of things becomes rather easy by comparison if the, that thief comes into your heart and sets up shop there all other shops that have set up the wares they will look small in comparison hmm. oh my god you were saying krishna has come up has been, the infinite has become a sweeper you know, in India they have a class of sweepers, sweet street sweepers, and, you know, in old times. I don't know, I haven't been there in a while, but um, sweepers. So. so this is the idea of Krishna. It means the whole. You know how small we are. I told the other day somebody sent me a video. It was a, it was a really cute little graphical video, graphic video, and it had a picture of the Earth, right, a little sphere like this, and then it showed the next biggest planet, which I don't even know what it is, but it was bigger. And then the biggest, next biggest one, next, then the sun. Then it went on to all that mankind, humankind knows hmm, is big out there. Big star, this one, that one. And they got to the biggest one. And then it showed the earth again. And I mean, you couldn't even see it on the screen unless you had a magnifying glass. That's earth. What's big of us? Hmm? Hmm. And in Hinduism, of course, we have a, in yoga, we have a multiverse worldview. There are many universes. Hmm? This is the smallest one. <laughs> and, and there's something behind all that, in other words, the generating force. And that force is affection, actually. Rasovai Saha, Janna Saha. I mean, there's affection behind the whole thing. It's what's ma making it move. It's what makes us move, really. We move for love. And when we're loved, we move too. We're moved by that. <laughs> Nothing moves us more hmm, than affection. That's the power, really. 
That's why that's why some people say Krishna is the be all and end all. As far as what, you know, the, the way the mystics have experienced the be all and end all, because why? Well, he's just love, loving. That's all he does. Brahma, you know, he's got four heads. He's got to think about how to create things, and Shiva's meditating, wearing ashes and so forth. He's completely detached. He's got knowledge, but Krishna's just playing. And if you play, in order to play, you have to have power, don't you? If you want to play, it means take a vacation, you have to have worked. You have to have money in the bank. So when God is depicted as only playing, you think, that's powerful. Hmm? That depiction depicts the most powerful. And it means the, the most powerful face of the Absolute, of the God, it is the affectionate face. And if you study this Leela of Krishna, you say, oh, this is just teeming with affection. Hmm? And that's all compressed and compact into these two syllables. Krishna, if you take that name, and there's a system for that, he mentions it here. It's real nice, he says. Satatam kirtayantomam, he says. Just like, if you want to do yoga, well, you know, you're going to be told, maybe not, but for the most part, you should be told. Certain times you should do it, you don't do it in your sleep, right? Well, there is yoga nidra, that's true, but uh, you, you know, you want to be clean, you want to, maybe before you eat, you're going to do your yoga, and instead of after you just ate, and there are rules, there are regulations to, in, in the Hindu ways of spiritual pursuit, you're going to find a gradation from a rule-oriented way to a, a love-laden way. That's what you're going to find. In the karma mark, in all those rules, there's so many rules. All the rituals you have to do. You have to sit like this, turn like that, this time of day, not like that. Om, chant with the right syllable, or you get the opposite effect. Do it right, and boom, you get a good husband, you know, or whatever you want. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's all full of rules. Because it's all about getting from the Absolute. And so there's very little love there. And wherever there are rules, there's no love. Wherever there's love, there's no rules. Hmm? So the karma mark is like, it's like, this is all full of rules. And on the other end of the spectrum is bhakti. And the full face of bhakti, there are no rules in love. Hmm? Hmm? It doesn't mean that you're, you know, it, it, it means you've transcended them. You, you're, you, you've realized the import of the rule. Hmm? The rule that the pur there's a purpose of the rule. It's like if you and I live together, then great. Until you know you want to get up early and I want to sleep late, <laughs> and any number of other differences that we might have come to bear. And then if we want to salvage the whole thing, we make, make a list. Okay, you agree to this, and I'll agree to that. Let's put it on the wall. Okay. <laughs> And let's call it love, you know. <laughs> Something like that. So the, the, the rules are kind of a breakdown of love. They may, they may help to promote love in, in a, at a certain point. But if we love, then there's a union that takes place. It's a dynamic union. You and I become we. It's not that you disappear and I disappear, but we. This is what, so in bhakti, the union with the Godhead is, uh, like I say, it's a dynamic one. Therefore, it fosters um, movement, 
it's portrayed, it's depicted, it's expressed by movement rather than sitting still. We may be dancing hmm? and chanting. And Krishna says what? Satatam kirtayantomam. You see, it's a path of love. He says, when should you do it? Where should you do it? How should you do it? He says, satatam, anyway. Anywhere, anytime, anyhow. Hmm? Satatam, it means like, literally it means like always, anywhere. Uh, hmm. There are no rules to it, it means. Hmm? It's kirtan. Hmm? That's very, again, user-friendly. Hmm? So, when again, where, to the extent that there are rules, there's no love. Hmm? To, wherever there is love to that extent, rules disappear, they melt away. They're not required, right? What you want, I want. What I want, you want. Where's the problem? Hmm? Well, this kirtan is, this is, is about this kind of meeting with the Absolute, the loving kind of union. Satatami says, kirtayantomam. There, these Mahatmas, they're always doing kirtan about me. Hmm? That's what they do. There are different kinds of kirtan. Nam kirtan, like we did tonight. Govinda Jai Jai, Gopal Jai. Hmm? What's in a name? Oh, my God. <laughs> so much. Right? Like now your name is your, 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 like your social security number. If they get it, that's it. They'll clean out your bank account, everything. Hmm? You're all there in, in your name. Hmm? They can take everything. So this is, I, by the names, what will you get? Everything. And what kind of name, you see? Oh, it's a nice thing. There are so many. Govinda is a kind of a name for Krishna. Hmm? Gopal. Hmm? These are very affectionate names. Hmm? These are names about the absolute that, that, depict different kinds of loving sentiments for the Godhead that are like like the kind of love a parent has for a child or a friend has for a friend, not just like agape, you know, in the Greek, or reverential love, intimate love. When you say these particular names, then you're calling on the Absolute in terms of how the God that has been approached by very high people, hmm? very affectionate sadhus. Hmm? So this is going to get the Godhead's attention, is, is the idea. If you go, Creator! <laughs> oh God, I do that in my sleep. That's Vishnu. You know, you ever seen a Vishnu? He's asleep. Then he dreams, and all the universes come out of the pore holes of his body. It's a poetic description. Then hmm? they all come back. Hmm? He tried, but oh God, people didn't want to cooperate. He sent different avatars to try to, you know. But so this is like Krishna's never asleep, never. At night, in the leela, he gets stuck in the bed, but he goes out the window to meet with the gopis. Those milk maidens, he's up 24 hours. It means there's a certain kind of love there that animates the Absolute. He can't sleep. Hmm? The Godhead cannot sleep in the face of that affection. He's conquered by the affection. The whole becomes subordinate to the part. How much the whole has come into your life? What, what la- I mean, you know, you want to be something by having and by knowing. How much can we have? How much can we own and how much can we know? It's very limited. 
How big can we be? This is how big you can be. You can know, you can be friends with the one who knows and owns everything. <laughs> That's a great way to do it. Your position is way better. That is bhakti. This is the idea. Try to be small. You are. It's not hard. It's, it's not you know, it's like if you have, if you, if you depict, like, let's say Krishna is like, love is magnetic, right? So, let's say, so. He's a big positive magnet. Here we are, a little magnetic flake. Now, should, what do you think? Should we have a positive charge? That's how, in the, in the karmic dilemma, we're like, like we think anyway, we're positively charged. So we're trying to be the taker, the beer, the maintainer, the sustainer, and we're pushing and, you know, if, what is the position of a little positive flake next to a huge positive magnet? You go the opposite direction. You take the same flake and give it a negative charge and goes, it's drawn automatically. And when we acknowledge our smallness, this is bhakti, Hare Krishna, what can I do? Om, Hari. Yeah, it's not like I met a guy, he said, I was talking about these things, he said, you know, I'd like to join you people. I said, well, that's fine. It was in an ashram. I said, you can try it. He said, one thing, he said, he had this really long hair, dreadlocks, and he said, one thing is I could never shave my head. I said, really? It's not hard. <laughs> 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 you know, you know, our, our monastics, they, they shave their heads. It's kind of a tradition. So I said, he said, well, the thing is, all my power is in my hair. I didn't believe him, but anyway, I gave him, I didn't tell him that, but I said, uh, I said, the thing is, this path's not about trying to get power. It's about trying to acknowledge who's actually powerful and how small we are. That's a powerful position to be in. That's the real, real powerful position. So this is Bhakti's way. It's not about you know, powering your way there with your shoes on, something like that, knocking down the door of the truth and I'm here, you know, and, uh, and with a real virile, you know, it's a very feminine approach, actually, bhakti. Mm-hmm. In bhakti, we see everyone is feminine. Every, every, every individual self is feminine and one prakriti, one purush, one positive magnet, everyone else is a negative flake, but that negative has positive value. You understand? That humility hmm, has positive value. So Krishna says, oh, these people, these Mahatmas, I like them. They have big souls. They're very kind. They go everywhere. They have nothing. They really need to, they don't need to go anywhere, but they go all kinds of places doing kirtan. And in their maturity, he said, that he said, here's what they like. They do kirtan, and this kirtan is about me, and it can be done anywhere, anytime, any place. It's very friendly. Even the even the even the, the plants can participate in this yoga. Huh? Even the animals, you know, in 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 in, in, a, in a cruder sense, hmm? without thinking about it, we'd be better off not thinking about it, just doing it. Hmm? We think about it, but we should think about it enough that we do it. Hmm? Then we can be freed from the oppression of having to think. Uh, it's so burdensome. So he says, they do it. They chant, always about me. Always means anywhere, anytime, any place. It also, it also means 
they're always doing this. This is like they're preoccupied with this. It's like if you love someone, you, you sing about them, and you see the whole environment speaking to you about that person. Hmm? He says, and they take vows, actually, like they commit themselves to this. Hmm? They're serious about it, hmm? he said. And they, 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 they commit themselves as, as such that this is like their, their, they do, we call it like bhajana kriya, they, they're living for this jivasitattva, jignasu, nahartoyas jayakamapi. They live for this. Life should be lived, human life, not for indriya sukha, indriya priti, love of the senses, but because it gives a chance to do these things. Hmm? They do it. They're, they're serious about being happy. Hmm? They're serious about giving. They want to give to the center and completely without any attaching any getting to that. Hmm? He says, these kind of people, and we do things like this, we make different vows and bhakti hmm? for chanting a certain amount every day and whatever, this is like beginning sodomy, so whatever happens, at least uh, whatever, come hell or high water, you know, they're there, they're going to chant, it doesn't matter. Hmm? Something like that. Putting, it's a question of priorities, right? Put yourself first. <laughs> what are you? Your self-interest, that is the interest of everyone. If you serve your own self-interest, you will serve everyone. It's a grassroots movement. <laughs> Charity begins at home, so. They do it with some commitment, and they get, this is how, in other words, it's a nice thing, we've all chant, it's fun, it's kind of entertainment, whatever. I'm going to chant with the Swami tonight, but. Some people kind of like start to see that, well, this is different kind of a thing. Like I, I go places, I get knowledge, I use it for my purpose. You come to gatherings like this enough times and you start to feel like, wait a minute, um, this is a different kind of knowledge. It has a purpose of its own. It has its own agenda. And I'm on it. I, I'm used to making knowledge part of my agenda for but I'm finding it has its own agenda. I'm on that. Oh my goodness. It's a living thing. Truth is not a dead thing that we can arrest in the fist of our intellect and file it away and regurgitate it to make ourselves look good in a social circle. I'm a yogi. Hmm? No. Hmm? It's meant to change us. Hmm? And we'll be popular for sure. Don't worry about that. You'll be popular for sure. You won't want it anymore. You don't know. So, to make some commitment to this, this is bhakti yoga. So yoga means some commitment is there. Bhakti yoga. So there's a serious way to do this. We're just having fun tonight, but <laughs> anyway. So, uh, <laughs> so he says then what? Namaschantasjamam so, it speaks a little bit here, nityuktupasa, but the nature of the samadhi, the nature of that samadhi. won't go into it in detail, but you can go there if you practice. 
So, um, again, I appreciate coming here. You're a very kind uh, audience. Thank you very much.